0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 12 of the Informed Catholic, episode 12 of the Informed Catholic. So if you like what I do, And you think I'm doing a good job, please subscribe and share. And you can go on my Facebook page and leave a comment. It'll be great. And it'll be a great help. Uh, I like to know what people think. And I like to hear suggestions from people. All right. So this is going to be the readings for the third week of Ordinary Time. Um, We're slowly moving on ahead uh, into the new year. So uh, let's begin uh, first, with the act of contrition. Uh, anyway, just let you know, I may sound on a little hoarse on uh, my throat. Um, I assure you, I, it's not COVID, <laughs> not Omicron. I could still smell and taste. Uh, it's just been very cold lately. And for some reason, my apartment, uh, in my room especially, the heat seems to uh not be coming up so i gotta talk to my landlord about that um anyway let's begin with uh the act of contrition in the name of the father son and holy spirit i confess to a mighty god and to you my brothers and sisters that i have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me and for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri elision. Kiri eleison kiri eleison christe eleison christe eleison christe eleison kiri eleison kiri eleison kiri eleison okay lord have mercy lord have mercy lord have mercy christ have mercy christ have mercy christ have mercy lord have mercy lord have mercy lord have mercy okay for those of you out there who wonder why i do it first in greek and then in uh, English, vernacular English, uh, I think it's a way just to, for new, for new people who are not Catholic to learn about this, that the, you know, what it means. Uh, it's a way of, um, exp- you know, obviously explaining what these prayers are and, you know, just to arouse interest in them. And this is something that we should do, um, help people especially Catholics who may not have been to mass for a long time and may have left the Catholic faith, became you know, left it completely, abandoned Christianity, and maybe they have an interest and they want to come back. And for those who are non um who are non Catholics, who are evangelical, maybe they're interested, you know? Um, you never know an opportunity. Uh the Holy Spirit can use, um could use us and we are instruments And we should allow the holy spirit to use us in every opportunity to bring the faith to other people all right glory to god in the highest and on earth peace to people of good will we praise you we bless you we adore you we glorify you we give you thanks for your great glory lord god heavenly king O god almighty father lord jesus christ only begotten son lord god lamb of god son of the father you take away the sins of the world Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, first reading is from the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 8. Uh, From verse 2 to 4, 5 to 6, 8 to 10. They read from the book of the law and they understood what was read. A reading from the book of Nehemiah. Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which consisted of men, women, and those children old enough to understand. Standing at one end of the open place, that was before the water gate. He read out of the book from daybreak to mid till midday. In the presence of, of, me, of the men, the women, and those children old enough to understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that he had made for the occasion. He opened the scroll so that all the people might see it. For he was standing higher up than any of the people. And as he opened it, all the people rose. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people, their hands raised up high, answered, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and prostrated themselves before the Lord, their faces to the ground. Ezra read plainly from the book of the law of God interpreting it so that all could understand what was read then nehemiah that is his excellency and ezra the priest scribe and the levites who were instructing the people said to all the people today is holy to the lord your god do not be sad and do not weep for all the people were weeping as they heard the word of the, of, of the law. He said further, "Go eat rich foods and and drink uh, sweet drinks, and allot portions to those who had nothing prepared. For today is holy to our Lord. Do not be saddened this day for rejoicing in the Lord must be your strength. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 19. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The decree of the Lord is trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. life. The Spirit of the Lord are, are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is clear, alighting the eye. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, all of them just. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Let the words of my mouth and the thought of my heart find favor before you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. Our second reading is... A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 12 to 30. Okay? Uh, you, you are Christ's body and individually part of uh, parts of, uh, of it. You are Christ's body and individually part of it. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 12 to 30. Okay, I'm going to read the whole long form. As a body is one, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body thought many are one body, though many are one body. One more time. As a body is one, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many are one body. So also Christ, for in one spirit we're all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks slaves or free persons we are all given to drink of one spirit now the body is not a single part but many if a foot should say because i am not a hand i do not belong to the body it is it it, it does not for this reason belong any less to the body or if any if an ear should say because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It does not, for this reason, belong any less to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God placed the parts, each one of them, in the body as he anointed, as he intended, I'm sorry. God placed parts, each one of them, in the body as he intended. For they were all one one part, where would the body be? If, If they were all one part, where would the body be? Okay, but as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I do not need you. Indeed, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, are all the more necessary, and those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we surround with greater honor, and our less presentable parts are treated with greater propriety, whereas our more presentable parts do not need uh, parts do not need this, but God has so constructed the body. As to give greater honor to a part that is without it. So that there may be no division in the body. But that there are parts. that I'm sorry. But that the parts may have the same concern for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts share its joy. Now we are Christ's body. And individually parts of it. Some people God has de- designated in the church to be first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then mighty deeds then gifts of healing, assistance and uh, assistance, administration, varieties of tongues are all apostles all are are, are all apostles that's the question there are all prophets are all teachers do all work mighty deeds do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Okay. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. So a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And chapter 4, verse 14 to 21. All right. Uh, Alleluia Antipon is uh, from St. Luke, chapter 4, verse 18. Alleluia, alleluia. The Lord sent me to bring glad tidings to the poor and to proclaim liberty to captives. Alleluia, alleluia. Okay, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, and uh, chapter 4, verse 14 to 21. Okay, it's a combination of uh, two, uh, two different chapters, but we'll get to why it's done this way. All right. So, since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the word have indeed I'm sorry, have handed them down to us, I, too have decided, after investigating everything accurately anew to write it down. In orderly sequence for you must for you most excellent Theophilus, so that you may realize that cer- the, the certainty of the teachings you have received. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and news of him spread throughout the whole region. It taught in their synagogues and, and was precisely I said was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had grown up and went according to his custom. Into the synagogue on the Sabbath on the Sabbath day, he stood up and read what was handed what was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written: "The spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. All He has sent me to uh, sent me to proclaim liberty to, to captives and, and recovery of the sight of the blind." to let the oppressed go free and proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down, and And the eyes of all in the synagogue looked attently, intently on him. He said to them, Today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, let's walk through what we have just read. Sorry uh, about the sound of my voice. I'm a little under the weather. Uh, Okay, so let's go. Uh, The events are taking place in the book of Nehemiah is after the 70-year exile. Maybe 70 to 100 years, you could say, right? But let's say the Israelites began to come home Around after the seventy year exile. And I think it probably ended around the, say the time of Esther. Uh I would say. The the story of Ezra and Nehemiah takes place around that those events. Now let's try to understand what's happening here. Okay, um, Nehemiah and Ezra got permission by the king of Persia to take their people and go back home and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened. Now, a little side note. Uh, A couple of years ago, around uh, a couple of years ago, long before the the COVID pandemic began, in the at the Metropolitan Museum of Art there was an exhibit in the ancient Near East department a small exhibit very small one and in these glass cases they had these cylinder clay clay tablets and um, these flat tablets with inscriptions on them that uh, actually recall the decree of Cyrus or Darius that's uh, the uh, King of king of Persia, I think his name is pronounced in Greek. I believe it's Cyrus or Darius, giving permission to the Israelites, to the Jewish people to go home and rebuild their temple. And this curator, his name is Ira was pointing out that this backs up the events of the Bible in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I thought that was fantastic. Eventually, archaeology does catch up with the Bible and it actually backs up the Bible. Some to this day want to recall that the event of the book of Esther is fictional. I think that's kind of silly. Really, it's, it, you know, you got to look at it. The book itself is very convincing, you know, because of her story. And uh, now, the way the writers choose to write the story, of course, they're going to choose a particular style to dramatize it because that's that, that's what writers do. And the writers of the Bible choose a particular style to make the story interesting. It doesn't mean that the event didn't happen. And just because you can't prove something doesn't mean it didn't happen. And you know, it can go both ways. You could say, yes, You can, it can go both ways. But You know, it's the stories, like to me, the Book of Tobit, it's, it's a very convincing story. It's a very convincing story of faith. And it's not like the Arabian Nights, where the Arabian Nights um, have genies and, and fantastic talking animals and stuff like that. Although... God can choose to make an animal talk, right, like a donkey. But anyway, going back to the uh, to the book, what it's so beautiful about this it's it's the liturgy. If you've noticed, Ezra the priest builds a podium made out of wood, kind of like it gives you a reminder of the the Ark of Noah, the Ark of the Covenant pointing to the cross of Jesus right made of wood he stands up holds up the book the scroll of the law opens it and the people stand up like the way we do at mass and reads the, the, the book and the people listen and then you have Nehemiah And a few of the other people, Nehemiah is sort of like a, a governor, a governor, a ruler, a governor, and he explains, interprets to the people what they just heard, and then encourages the people to be happy, to be joyful, to be glad in the Lord. They have just been through a lot and they have returned home, no temple, no king, but they do have a priest and they, and they're still a people and God has kept them alive and they just went through a form of penance and this form of penance was to make them more holy, to to drive more faith in them, to harvest more faith in them, to encourage more faith in them. It's very beautiful. And in a sense, you know, trouble, uh, tragic and controversial events do that for us. It, it encourages faith in us. It encourages us to have faith, to grow in our faith. To be more willing to trust God. To give up and stop trying to be in control. It's very difficult, but that's, that's exactly what happened. And, and also to be considerate to their neighbor. To share, to eat good food, sweet food, sweet drink. And to share with their, with their neighbor. In the Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul, the decree of the Lord is trustworthy, giving wisdom to the uh, simple. But you could also translate it, remove the word "law" and replace it with the, with "word," the word of the Lord. I know the, the 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 Catholic singer musician, um, John Michael Talbot. He always makes very interesting music. More contemplative meditative music the he would take this and put the word put replace it with the word word the word of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul the decree of the Lord is trustworthy giving wisdom to the simple the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart The commands of the Lord is clear enlightening the eye the fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever the ordinances of the Lord are true All of them just let the words of of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart find favor before you. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. The one verse that stands out for me, stands out to me is the part that says the fear of the Lord is pure. Enduring forever. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It doesn't mean like to fear a, 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 a father. Abusive father coming home was going to beat their kids with a, with a, a belt. No fear in, in, in the Bible is letting anything get in the way between you and God, letting your idle passions, your pagan passions get in the way, your pagan desires for wealth and money and power letting the pagan distractions of the world getting bet- getting in the way between you and God in your relationship with God fearing those fearing anything that can get that can distract you from your from God that's what you should think about that's what you should fear and i believe that's that that is true because we get distracted so easily today with our phones with sports, with, I'm sorry, gossip, with um, um, anything, anything that basically could destroy that relationship. That's what we should worry about. St. Paul in his letter here, it's very simple, I think. Although the one thing that stands out to me in the end of his letter is administration, which obviously is kind of like the governor governor um the government structure of the church. Um which often I'm afraid is um cause for a lot of scandal. Uh, the government, the, the the administration structure of the church can be um, very, let's put it this way, very disturbing because it could take on uh, a life of its own. We we've we've been getting a lot of this kind of scandalous stuff through the years, you know especially with the, the church scandal, uh, the financial scandal within the church and other things. And I think that's a sad, a sad price we have to pay. And it's to be expected when you have human beings, especially those who seem to be more comfortable in administration than in ministry, in government body than in preaching than in in feeding souls and in healing souls. But the, the most important part of Paul's letter here is that everybody has a gift and nobody in the body of Christ is less or more important than the other person. Although how each one I think carries out that gift will definitely pay the price. Um, you know, like if someone abuses those gifts, that's what I mean. If you abuse it, like people in administration tend to focus on financial and diplomatic things than to focus on spiritual things. And I think a lot of people, a lot of men in the church, clergy, sometimes when they're in, in in one particular thing there it's more easier for them than to deal with people. And maybe that's, that's the sad pro, uh, product of it. Um, you know, rather than dealing with souls, and sometimes you could fool yourself in thinking this is how I serve God. And you forget the neglect, your, the, the, the graces that you need in your soul, it can be costly. And that's true. But either way, everyone has a gift to serve, and everyone has a role to play in the body of Christ. In Luke's Gospel, we get two chapters that are knitted together. The first part is from Luke's prologue, and Luke writes in a very Greek way, but he's also very much writing like a historian. But Just the same, Luke is still writing theologically, although he's approaching it from a different angle, a different perspective than, let's say, John is. But it is still from the same historical angle of Matthew and Mark. Just, he's going to go in there and grab a few details that he needs And he's writing it from a more of a Gentile Greek perspective, but it works just the same. And he gives us a little bit more detail on the road. And um, I guess you can say this way, you can kind of like, he grabs a little bit extra footnotes from the side of Mark and Matthew. And he puts it in the front And like you you go to a a biographer of certain historical figures, non-religious figures, maybe even religious figures like John Paul II. Some historians will focus on one particular detail that they find interesting. Another historian will focus on the same chapter of the person's life, but he'll focus on narrowing on another detail that the other person made side notes on. And you could say the same thing for the next historian and the other historian. They'll quote each other, but each one wants his work to stand out differently from the other. They're not lying. None of them are lying. They're just, they're, they're, they're looking at it from a different angle. They're focusing, they're narrowing down to a particular detail. You can go into the history section and find out How many books, historical books, are there on Abraham Lincoln? And you think to yourself, what is it that that makes them all different? And you could say none of them, but in all honesty, once you pick them up, you're going to see slightly different. You're going to see something different. And in the footnote, you might notice one or two authors that you're familiar with. And you'll look at the shelf and say, oh, so he's quoting this one. But still, either way, they all believe they have something to say, something to add. It's very interesting. But here we get something that's interesting. In the second half, Luke brings Jesus back home to Nazareth and has he brings Jesus back home to Nazareth and he has Jesus go to his town synagogue and sort of make his sort of like grand stage appearance and ruffles up some feathers. And, you know, it's, it, you see the people's reaction. But then again, why are they reacting so badly? well, I, you know, you, you, it's not quoted. No, the entire passage is not finished yet. It's very interesting. It's not finished yet. But guess what? You're going to get, you're going to get the, you're going to get an idea why they're angry. And, and what's interesting is, is that the people heard the miracles he's been performing. And so, The only thing we can get is, is that this doesn't happen right away from the beginning. It happened sometime later. This is his first grand appearance in Nazareth, but not at the beginning of of his ministry. Because the people have been hearing about his miracles, what he's been doing, what he's been preaching, what he's been saying. And they're going to want to see some performance. They want to see him Do some miracles. And what Jesus points to is their lack of faith. Their lack of faith. You see, the miracles are one thing, but the miracles point to something else. They're pointing, it points to something deeper, more spiritual. There's more meaning to his miracles. You know, uh, giving sight to the blind, Jesus would often say it is worse to be blind of faith than to be physically blind. Of course, to some people, no, it's worse to be physically blind. So then therefore, you would rather sacrifice faith and be blind and, 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 and see than to have to be blind and have faith. To God, to, to be blind and no faith is worse. And to God, to be blind and have faith is better than to be uh, blind with, with sight. And even many cases, still even to be blind and have, still have no faith is even worse. It, it's just as bad. But to God, one is worse than the other. To have eyes and not see. And that's worse. That's worse to God. People would probably say, I don't believe that. I can't believe that. Doesn't God want us to see? Yes. But to God, one who has faith sees better than the person who has sight. And one who has no sight but faith sees far better. Because... It's worth to have faith. You got to have grace. Hope I didn't muddle that, but I think you get what I'm saying. And and, and and it's still, I think many people will say, you know, you shouldn't talk about something you don't know about, you know, uh, not having sight. You're right. You're right, but it's also true. When you think about it, I mean, if we were not able to walk, be a paraplegic, stuck in bed, not able to clean ourselves, not able to go to the bathroom without help, feeling that we're a burden and feeling that life is worthless, wouldn't your fate, wouldn't your life be a lot more? easier. If you have faith in God, wouldn't you want your faith in God to increase? Right. There's a, I don't know his name, a friend of mine mentioned him and I've seen, I've seen images of him. He's an evangelical Christian, a Protestant. And he was born with no arms and no legs. And he has a ministry. You know he has a ministry and he 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 goes all over the world and uh, she told me about an incident in a, in in one in, in an incident with a Indian woman a woman in, in in Asia who was on the street. I'm not too sure. I think she said she was a prostitute and she was laying on a street corner. And he prayed over her. And she miraculously healed. Think about it. This man, born with no arms and legs, he has like fins, has this faith. He doesn't let let his, his handicap, his deformity stop him. Stop him from from preaching. Stop him from believing. Stop him from... from... (sighs) having this relationship with Christ that none of us can describe. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. And yet... some of us Catholics are embarrassed by that kind of faith. You know, we don't, you know, we don't want to make that noise, shake, you know, shake it up. We love being Catholic. We love having old. even I have to say, honestly, I think with the statues and with the saints, we've really toned it down, haven't we? Right? We don't want to look too ethnically Catholic. We don't want to rock the boat, we want to be sophisticated we want to be modern we want to you know um you know tone down the faith tone down the preaching father don't rock the boat you know don't sound too too uh traditional don't sound too too um rowdy tone it down a little bit and uh tone down the preaching and and don't talk about the Eucharist, don't talk about the souls in purgatory. Don't talk, don't talk about so much about sin. Yet people like this man puts us to shame. That's something to think about, right? All right, let's go to the uh, the creed. I believe in one God, the Father almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Okay, three Hail Marys for the Pope. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death amen and a saint michael uh for the catholic church saint michael archangel of god defend us in battle be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking to ruin his souls. Amen.